Well, I want to preach a message to you today called The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Foothold. The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Foothold. Um, some of you were wondering last week why I went out of town on the weekend that my wife was having a baby. <laughs> it's because she told me to. She said, Paul, you got to go and preach there, and this baby is not coming until you come back. And she said, you know, trust me, the baby is not, we have not felt like anything has changed in the last few days. The doctor was pretty confident that Ashley was going to not have this baby until later the following week. So she said, just go. And so I went, and praise God, I made it back home, and Ashley was in the house, and we went on a long walk on Sunday night. We walked around our neighborhood, and at 5 a.m. on Monday morning, my wife had our baby girl, Eliana Hope. September 9th, 2019, at 9.15 a.m. I was thinking, just a few more minutes, it would have been 9, 9, 9, 9. But uh, Eliana Hope, we're going to call her Ellie Hope. And, and I want to show you just a video of kind of the whole moment that we were there in the hospital. Check this out. All right, so... There's a reason I showed you the video. One, I just wanted to look at my baby girl one more time. But two, there was this moment in the hospital that when it came time for the baby to be born, Ashley was like, get the doctor now. This baby is coming. And I was like, yes, I will get the doctor. She goes, not you, the nurse. I was like, okay. So I'm standing there and the nurse gets the doctor and the nurse goes, shut the door. No one is allowed into the room except those who are supposed to be here. Everybody say, shut the door. I think oftentimes we are opening the door to things and to people and to attitudes and to sins and to emotions and feelings that we have no business allowing into the room of our hearts, our marriages, our minds, our families. Dear church, this is a message called the subtle art of not giving a foothold. If you have a Bible, go to Ephesians chapter four and you can make some noise. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, Paul's writing to the church at Ephesus, and he says, As a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Okay, so Paul is saying there's a lifestyle that's connected to the calling on your life. Uh, the, the, the Christian life is not a matter of just talking or thinking or singing songs. It is a matter of living for the glory of God. Ephesians 4 is not a guide on how to get saved or how to earn salvation. You can't earn it. Salvation is by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ. No amount of good works can earn your salvation. Ephesians 4 is a guide on what happens after you are saved, what should be flowing out of your life. There is a lifestyle that God has empowered us to live. There is a lifestyle that God has called us and commissioned us to walk in when we surrender our lives to Jesus. If we look just like the world, if the church lets everything in the doors into our minds, our hearts, our lives, our marriages, our families, our bodies, that the world allows in, then what is the difference? We are called to be set apart, holy, pleasing to God, that we are called to live a life worthy of the calling that he has called us to walk in. In verse two, he says, be completely humble. Now this is like different than the world. The world says, the world says, do whatever you want. Doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. Just make your way. Just go through life and have, you know, get what you want. But, but, but the calling of God is be humble, be gentle, be patient, bear with one another in love. Who is the standard for the Christian life? It's Jesus. 
It's not what other people are doing. It's not what leaders are doing. It's not what celebrity people say is okay in the body of Christ. It's Jesus. Jesus was humble. He was gentle. He was kind. He treated people with dignity and respect. And he said, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Jesus was a peacemaker. But here's the key. In verse 27, he says, and do not give the devil a foothold. Ephesians 4 verse 27 says, do not give the devil a foothold. The word foothold means a secure footing position. It's a place where a, once the foothold is made, they can make further progress. They can begin to make further improvements. It gives them a strong position. When a climber is climbing up a mountain, they look for a good foothold because a good foothold gives them the power to keep climbing higher. Uh, when someone is trying to gain access into a specific area, here's an example, um, uh, a sentence for this. The young actor was trying to gain a foothold in Hollywood. So he was applying to be in every movie. He was trying out, auditioning for every movie. Our company gained a foothold by opening up several stores in China. So the whole idea of a foothold is just to get a little bit in so that way you can begin to push the door further and further open to have more authority, more dominion, more power in the place. And some of us in the room, we don't even realize it. We've just cracked the door open to sin. We've cracked the door open to little things in our life. And we go, well, Paul, it's just a little bit. It's not, like a, it's not like I'm addicted to something. It's just every once in a while. It's just when I need it. It's just when I feel like doing it. It's not like I've got it going on every day. I'm not looking at this every day. I'm not snorting this every day. I'm not sleeping with her every day. It's just when we really feel like it. Besides, Paul, Joey and Chandler did it on Friends. You need to get some new friends and stop making friends the standard on how you're supposed to live your life as a believer. I'm bringing you truth to table this morning. We've got to stop letting Satan win with every impulsive desire that pops up in our mind and heart. Impulsive desire is not the will of God. Just because I feel like getting Krispy Kreme donuts doesn't mean that I'm supposed to get Krispy Kreme donuts. Just because I feel like in a moment yelling at someone who makes me mad does not mean that I am qualified and have permission to yell at someone or cuss someone out. Just because you have an idea or a thought doesn't mean you're supposed to crack open that door and go, well, God will forgive me. He will forgive you, but he has not called you to live a life like that. It's time for us to take back authority over our minds, our marriages, our hearts, our emotions, our bodies. You know, when we were, when Ashley and I were going through Before You Say I Do class at Victory, before we got married 10 years ago, we're celebrating 10 years of marriage this next month. And I remember sitting in the class and Carl and Charity, they said, okay, couples, we want you to talk about anything and everything that could be a potential harm down the road in your marriage. Talk about money, talk about parenting, talk about discipline, talk about how many kids you want, talk about all of these things. So we start going through this list, like 101 questions. We're going through all of this. And then they said something, and talk about any potential flirtatious doors that you might have cracked open on Facebook. Anybody from the past that still talks to you every once in a while. It's about to get real in this place. I just felt the Holy Spirit come into the room. Talk about any threads on your phone, any text messages that you wouldn't want him to see or her to see. 
Why were they doing that? Because they were looking out for the health of our future. Because an, an emotional loophole is a foothold for the devil. When we give an emotional loophole to someone, when we open up the door, and it's just cracked open just a little bit, it becomes a foothold for the devil. So the next time your spouse makes you mad, guess who's waiting to talk to you on Facebook? Guess who's waiting to hang out with you? Guess who's ready to hook up with you? We've got to come back to the authority to say, no, no, hold on. I'm not living my life for what people think I should do or what Hollywood says is okay to do or what a celebrity thinks is fine to do as a Christian. My life is on the word of God. He's my standard. And see, here, here's the bottom line. At the end of the day, do you want to live a good life? At the end of the day, Sin does not lead to a good life. Like opening the door, sin always sounds good in the moment, always looks like it's going to feel pretty good in the moment, but it costs you more than you want to pay, and it keeps you longer than you want to stay. And a crack in the door becomes a full-blown, like all, all he needs is just a little crack in the door. i got to go over to this door here because I couldn't get a, a prop this weekend on the stage, so I'm going to use this door. I need some help. Sir, would you come over here and just... Just stand on the other side of this door, and um, I want you to knock on the door, because here's what happens. Oftentimes, it's just a little bit of a knock. Go ahead and knock. You guys hear that knock? Knock again. That's what the enemy does. He just knocks, just with a little bit of discouragement, a little bit of worry, a little bit of lust, a little bit of flirtatiousness, a little just take off the ring off the finger. Just do what feels good in this moment. Go ahead and knock again. Oh, he doesn't hear me. Go ahead and knock again. <laughs> there you go. And what happens is we just kind of barely, go ahead and put your foot in the door. Just barely crack it open. Yeah, put your foot in the door. And once the foot, go ahead, stick it all the way in there. You see that foot down there? Once the foot gets in the door, he gains access. And no matter how I try to close the door, his foot is in. And then he begins to come in. This happens with my dogs. Give this man a big hand. Thank you so much, sir. This happens with my dogs. When our dogs go outside, when they got to use the bathroom, they go outside. And especially when it's raining, I have to check before they come in because they, got, they get in all the muddy puddles. And all they need is just to, like, if I barely crack the door open, they stick their nose right in there and then their foot. And then they just run in and they make the whole floor muddy. And we got to be careful because some of us are giving the enemy just a little bit, just, just a hairline, just an, a crack in the door to come through. And Paul says, no, no, hold on. Don't give anger a foothold. Don't give lust a foothold. Don't give depression a foothold. Don't give those suicidal thoughts. So this last week, I got a, a text message from a friend. He said, have you heard the news? I said, what are you talking about? He said, um, they're about to release a statement. Pastor Greg Laurie is about to release a statement. I said, what? What are you talking about? He said, our friend, our friend Jared, he died. Jared and I started talking about two and a half years ago. And he reached out and we started just chatting about different things. He was, at that time, he was a young pastor, traveling minister in Nashville, running a ministry on suicide awareness, suicide, helping people not commit suicide and, and mental health and two years had gone by. We'd stayed in touch with each other, kept on staying in touch. And on Monday, I get this text message, or Tuesday, I get this text message, and he says, no, no, something has happened. And um, later that day, they announced that Jared took his life. He committed suicide. 
And I go, no, 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 no. I started crying because I was thinking about his wife. I was thinking about his sons. I was thinking about everything he stood for. No, no, no. And I didn't know what to do. So I just started praying in the spirit. Some of y'all think praying in the spirit, praying in tongues is weird or silly. It is powerful. When you don't know what to pray, pray in tongues. When you don't know how to pray, pray in the spirit. And you know what? It's, it's available to every believer. It's a gift of the Spirit. And it's, I, I don't come up here and preach in tongues. Otherwise, you wouldn't understand what I'm saying. But in my personal quiet time, when I don't know what to pray, when I start praying in the Spirit, it's spiritual warfare. And it starts giving me courage. And I'm praying in accordance with God's will. I'm praying for his wife, for his kids. I'm praying for any pastor out there, any person out there that's struggling with suicidal thoughts or depression. And I was binding it in Jesus' name. But something bothered me the next day. I started seeing posts all over social media. And some of these posts that people were making, I was going, what? And my wife and I, we were both like, hmm. All the devil needs is a crack in the door. One of the posts, a few of them said, Praise God, Jared finally got his victory. And in my mind, I'm going, I pray no person reads that that's struggling with any thoughts. Suicide is not victory. Now, if I'm stepping on anyone's toes this morning, it's, the word of God is clear. If I don't preach the full counsel of God's word, I'm robbing you of life. It is not a victory to commit suicide. It is not God's will for your life. Elijah was suicidal. God still used him. Just because you have suicidal thoughts doesn't mean that you can't be used by God. But don't give in to those suicidal thoughts. Don't let them win. You have the victory in your mind. You, you can conquer this. You see, suicide is to believe that the best days are behind me, that things will never get better. It's, it's to give in to a spirit of hopelessness and despair and discouragement. But we serve a God who breathes life. He came to give us life and life more abundantly. The thief comes to steal, to kill and destroy. You got to know who's at the door because some of us are opening the door to the wrong person. The wrong thoughts, the wrong feelings. Number one, how, how do we practice the subtle art of not giving a foothold? Number one, recognize who's at the door. Recognize who's at the door and stop letting anything in. Stop letting, we gotta stop letting anything in. Just because I feel discouraged doesn't mean I need to live discouraged. Just because I might feel lonely in a moment doesn't mean I'm supposed to call up anyone and everyone to come and fill that void of loneliness. There's a friend in Jesus. He's with you in the midnight hour, in the times where you feel alone and discouraged. You don't have to have a, a call girl. You don't have to get hooked up with somebody. You can, in those moments of, you don't have to give in to every impulse of desire. We are not a defeated generation. We are not a defeated generation. The enemy wants to make people think, well, you should just give in to it. You should, you're an addict. You're a sex addict. Your dad was, your grandpa was. You can break the curse. This generational curse that's been in your family, it doesn't have to continue with you. You can change today. 
But what we have to realize is we've got to see who's at the door. I remember watching this movie when I was younger called Three Ninjas. And it was about three brothers, Rocky, Colt, and Tom Tom. And they were all trained by their grandpa to be ninjas. And this one moment, their dad worked for the CIA. And this one moment, these robbers came to their house. And they knocked on the door. And they go, pizza delivery! And they had dressed up as pizza delivery guys. They had the pizza. And the boys looked through the peephole of the door. And they saw, all they saw was pizza. And so they started to open the door. And as soon as they did, the robbers dropped the pizza box. They stuck their foot in the door. And they pointed a gun around the door. And the, the ninjas, the brothers, they tried to shut the door. But they couldn't because the robbers had a foothold. You know, the enemy always masquerades. He's a wolf in sheep's clothing. He's the father of lies. He's deceiving. So what he'll do is he'll whisper little things of, you know. A little bit of lust is okay. A little bit of anger is okay. A little bit of drugs is okay. A little bit of sex is okay outside of marriage. It's not going to hurt. It's just a little bit. And all the enemy needs is just a little foothold when he starts to come through. And as soon as they got the foothold, all the robbers started to come into the house. Everybody say, shut the front door. <laughs> and shut the back door too while you're at it. Shut the windows, shut anything. This last week I was walking through our house and I felt a little drift coming through and I realized one of our boys had opened a window in a room that I am normally not on that side of the room. When I watch our boys play in that room, I'm usually standing by the door and the window is on the opposite side of the room about 10, 12 feet over here and I usually don't walk over there so I didn't even notice. It wasn't open wide, it was just a crack but it was on the first floor. And all the enemy needs is just a crack. And I don't know how long that window's been open, but when I saw that, I go, ooh, we gotta shut that. I don't want any critters or any creepers coming through. <laughs> shut the door. We've gotta recognize who's at the door. Isaiah 5 verse 20 prophesied about what, what would happen in the days to come. And he said this, woe to those who call evil good. Some people are looking at the door and there's a robber, there's a thief. But in our minds, we're going, oh, it's the pizza delivery guy. No, he's still a thief. That anger is still a thief. That depression is still a thief. That gossip about your coworkers, about your boss, it's still a thief. Well, Paul, it's just a little bit of gossip. It's not like we talk bad about him every day. It's just when we get frustrated with him. It's just when I don't like my spouse on certain days. Listen, there's going to be times where you may not feel like doing the thing you're supposed to do, but woe to those who call evil good. Woe to those who change what sin actually is, and we start normalizing sin, saying every guy does this, every woman talks like this, every marriage looks like this, but you are called to be holy, set apart for the Lord. We are called to live a life worthy of the calling we have received. And Isaiah says, and he says that they, they make bitter sweet and sweet bitter. And then he goes on to say in verse 24, here's what happens to those people who do this. Here's what happens. He says, their root decays in verse 24. And their flowers blow away like dust. In other words, they lose all productivity. All the life that's supposed to flow through you stops when you stop calling sin what it really is. When we start normalizing things and just letting anything into our life, slowly but surely, the vitality, the energy, the hope, the peace, the joy, it starts to get choked out. Number two, number two, and that is this. Get that junk out of the house. Get that junk out of the house. Watch what Paul says in Ephesians 4, verse 17. 
He says, so I tell you this, and I insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. It's futile to give in to every impulsive desire. He said, they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. It always begins with the hardening where we just get comfortable in our sin. We just get used to it. We turn off the conviction in our life. We go, well, I'm just gonna do this because it feels good. And I'm still gonna go to church on Sunday, but I'm gonna keep living like this. God didn't call us just to be Sunday Christians. He called us to be Christian every single day of the week, every single day of the year. Don't just be a Christmas and Easter Christian. Be a Christian every single day. And I'm telling you, that's where the real joy is. You think sin is fun? Like, you think sin is bringing you joy? How many in this room have ever sinned before? Those of you that didn't just raise your hand, we're doing an altar call in about 20 minutes, and you could come bring that falsehood down here, that lying spirit. But here's the thing I've learned about when I sin. Um, it feels good in the moment. In the moment, it's, it, there's an enticing feeling of, oh, this is gonna feel good. But how many of y'all know the aftertaste? It's terrible. You're like, why? Why did I just do that? Why did I just let that out of my mouth? Why did I say that? Because in the moment you thought, if I say this, I'm gonna release some tension. I'm gonna release some stress. I'm gonna release some anger. But it never satisfies. Sin never satisfies. Never meets the void of, of the need for more satisfaction. Always makes you emptier afterwards. So Paul says in Ephesians 4.18, they're darkened in their understanding and they're separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Verse 19, so they've lost all sensitivity. When's the last time you were sensitive to recognize sin for what it is and go, no, that's not coming into my house. They've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every impulsive desire of impurity and they're full of greed. You know what greed is? It's not just about money. You could be greedy for things. You could be greedy for sex outside of marriage. You can be greedy for all kinds of stuff that you think, if I get more of this, all I, I just gotta get more and more and more, and yet greed never satisfies. The only thing that satisfies is Jesus. The only way to live a life worthy of the calling you ever received is to get more of Jesus, to keep on surrendering to Jesus, keep on growing in your relationship with Jesus, keep on opening the door to Jesus and shutting the door on the devil. And verse 20 says, that, however, is not the way of life that you have learned. So we've got to get that junk out of the house. We've got to realize I was not made to live like this. I remember playing basketball here at Victory, um, and I was on the varsity team, and we would scrimmage against the starting five, but I was, I was the last five. There was like 15 of us on the team, and you had the starting five, then you had the second five, and then you had the third five. I was part of the third five. I was like the C team playing against the A-League team. And I remember dribbling down the court, and I was so excited. I had this idea. I was like, I'm going to go like this, and then I'm going to go like this, and I'm going to lay it up, and it's going to go right into the hoop. And I forgot that Kalina Azabuki was playing against us. He's six foot six, and he's an incredible basketball player. Went on to go and play in the NBA. So I'm dribbling down the court, and I do my juke, go like that, and I lay it up in the air, and I'm, it's going, it's going. And Kalina jumps like 14 feet high in the air and just goes, and he goes, get that junk out of my house. And I was like, yes, sir. 
I'm going to go sit down over here. <laughs> Some of us need to get that radical with the enemy. When he comes to lay up that depression in your heart, when he comes to lay up those suicidal thoughts, when he comes to lay up the lust, the idea of doing something you know you weren't born to do, you get up there and you swat that junk and you go, get that junk out of my house. <laughs> Some of us are playing the victim card to the enemy and we're just letting him come and dunk it on us all day, every day. We got to get power back in this place. Take your mind back. Take your marriage back. Get your heart back. He says, you were not taught to live like that. So he says in verse 21, when you heard about Jesus and you were taught in him in accordance with the truth, everybody say truth. See, truth sounds like hate to those who hate the truth. Truth sounds like hate to those who hate the truth. <laughs> but truth will set you free. Truth will set you free from, from everything that, 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 that when there's a lie from the enemy, the truth will set you free when you get in the truth. And he says, you were taught to put off your former way of life, the old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. There it is. Get rid of the junk. Put it off. Get rid of anything that's corrupting you on the inside, anything that's toxic, anything that's weighing you down. So there's statements going on out there, and I, I, I like the first part of the statement, the statement of it's okay to not be okay. I like that. I agree with that. It's okay to come into church, not okay. We're not going to card you at the door and say, are you okay? All right, you can come in. You can come in when you're struggling, when you're weak, when you're addicted, when you're tormented, when you're depressed, but it's not okay to stay that way. It's not okay to keep coming year after year after year after year after year, and 20 years you've been a Christian, but you're still a slave to some of the things that the enemy's been wreaking havoc in your house. It's not okay to stay that way. And some of us in the room, we feel like, I'll never break free of this. There's, a, there's just this cycle of addictive behaviors in my life. There's a word in the Bible that's so powerful, and the word is called repentance. And people go, well, that's only for unbelievers. No, actually, it's for believers. You can't repent unless you believe there's a God. Why would an unbeliever repent when they don't even believe in God? Repentance is the first step after you believe in God. Once you realize there is a God and he loves you and he's for you and he's not against you and he has a great plan for your life and he can do for you what heroin can't do for you and he can do for you what sex outside of marriage can't do for you and he can do for you what alcohol and pornography and all the greed and depression and money and discouragement and all the world promises. Once you realize that God is worth it, the next step is to repent and say, Lord, I need you. God, change me. The word repentance means to change the mind. Change the mind. Put off the old. Put on the new. That's my third point right here. Put off the old you and put on the new you. The only way we do that is through repentance, though. And I love the definition of repentance from the Baker Encyclopedia of the Bible. It says repentance is literally a change of mind, not about individual plans, intentions, or beliefs, but rather a change in the whole personality. A change in the whole personality from a sinful course of action to God. There's all these personality tests out there, and one of the famous ones right now is Enneagram, where people are scoring certain numbers, and you could be a one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, or nine. And whatever number you are, they tell you this is who you are. And this is who uh, 
who you can identify with that's also like you in this area. If you're introverted, you're this. If you're extroverted, you're that. If you enjoy being around people and you're energized by being around people, you're like this. But there's these parts where they say there's the healthy side of this and the unhealthy side of this. Here's my problem with some people who take these tests. They go, well, I am this personality, which makes me a moody person. So that's just the way I am. I'm a moody person. You can change your personality. You are not stuck being moody your whole life. There's some people go, well, you know, I'm, I'm just born with like a random personality, so I'm not disciplined. I'm spontaneous. So I pray when I feel like it. I go to church when I feel like it. I don't work out unless I feel like it. You know, my brother, he's really disciplined, but I'm not. I was born with an undisciplined personality. You can change. <laughs> you can change, my friends. I can change. You can change. We can change. We are not stuck with undisciplined, toxic behaviors. We are not stuck in a lifestyle of sin through the power of the Holy Spirit, through Jesus Christ, through the gospel. I can walk in victory over everything. That Come on, somebody stand up and shout to Jesus in this place. I'm preaching this morning to somebody here today. Somebody say, I can change. I can change through Jesus, through Jesus. I'm almost done, but through Jesus, we have the victory. We are not stuck in sin. We are not stuck in abusive, self-abusive or abuses towards other people. We are not stuck with certain behaviors. So Paul goes on to say here, he goes on to say, um, put off. Everything from the old you, which is being corrupted by deceitful desires. Here's my third point right here. Put off the old you and put on the new. This is how we do it. The subtle art of not giving a foothold is getting rid of the old desires. When we are saved, it says that the old is gone. Behold, all things are made new in Christ. But it is a daily. Like when I go, when I go on an adventure with my boys, we go walking through the woods. Every once in a while, little ticks will jump on our boys. You know what ticks are? Yeah, yeah, those little, 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 little bugs. They, you, don't, you don't see them. They like to hide in the spots that you're not looking. Isn't that like the enemy? He likes to just get right in, and he just wants to hang there. You know what ticks do is they, they bring bacteria into your life. They cause swelling and redness. Eventually, it becomes very discomforting. You got to get that tick off. You got to go in there and you got to begin to pull those ticks off. And oftentimes we live in the world as Christians. Like when you got saved, it's not like all of a sudden the world is no longer around. You're still wrapped in the flesh. Paul said, my flesh still fights against my spirit. That which I don't want to do is constantly at war with that which my spirit wants to do. There's this constant battle. So I've got to daily go in and start to pull off those ticks. I got to get rid of the stuff Pull off the old you and begin to renew your mind. How do I do that? By getting in the word of God, by getting in prayer, by getting in God's house. Never underestimate just showing up week after week, being in the presence of God, getting in the word of God. You might come in here with an addiction, but soon enough, that addiction is going to lose its power, its stronghold. The more you get in God's house, the more you get in God's word, the more you begin to meditate on what God says about you, the less the power of the enemy has in your life. The stronghold begins to break down. But you got to go in there. You got to go in there. And so Paul goes on to say in verse 23, be made new in the attitude of your minds. It starts in the mind. It starts in the mind. I've got to start changing those thoughts. Maybe you came in here today and you go, Paul, I feel like my best days are behind me. 
I feel like God's finished with me. We've got to get that changed in your mind because eventually that thought becomes an action. And when you give up hope, so many people have just given into despair, discouragement, depression. But God has not called us to be defeated. We are not a defeated generation. So I've got to be made new in my mind. This is why we say the confession every week. It's not just a time thing. It's not just something we say. It's because I truly believe there's someone watching out there that's standing on a bridge, that's holding a gun, that's getting ready to take pills, and they need to hear that confession. God's not finished with you yet. And he's not finished with your husband. And he's not finished with your wife. He's not finished with your son. He's not finished with your daughter. He's not finished with your future. Your best days are still in front of you. Get off that bridge. Start walking back home. Get home to your spouse. God loves you. He's got a plan for you. He forgives you. He can renew you. He can redeem your mistakes. But I've got to get my mind, the attitude. So he says in verse 24, put on the new self. Put on the new you, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So the standard is God. And when we hear the word holy, it can be scary because we, we sing holy in, in our songs. Holy, holy are you, Lord. And it's easy for me to believe God is holy. But it's hard for me to believe that I can be holy. If I'm the one who makes myself holy. But the good news is God is the one who makes you holy. God is the one who makes you holy. He did this with the Israelites. The word holy means set apart. When you got saved, he made you set apart. He said, okay, I'm making you whole. I'm justifying you. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Your works did not earn your salvation or earn your justification or earn your righteousness. It was given as a gift from God. But here, I've got guidelines now. Don't touch the stuff you used to touch. Don't go back to the way you used to live. Get rid of that junk. Get it out of your house. All that stuff that's stirring up hatred and violence and anger and racism and prejudice and pride and jealousy and greed. Don't go back to that's not you anymore. Put on the new you being made like God and true righteousness and holiness. Right. God's called us to be holy because he is holy and he's made us holy and he's given us the empowerment to walk in holiness. I want the keys to come up. I've got to put on that righteousness of God. So he goes on to say this in verse 25. He says, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood. Put off falsehood. In other words, quit lying. Like, stop lying. Stop lying. Please, stop lying. There's so much lying going on right now. Just deception. And the problem is when you lie, you're lying to yourself, man. And God sees it. He's like, come on, dude. Like, take off the mask. You know and I know that that's, that's not true. The thing is, is we lie when we know we're supposed to repent, but we're afraid to go down to an altar call because of what people think about us, so we pretend like we got it all together. And God's going, come on, man. Like, let's be honest. Dear church, let's be honest. Let's be honest with God. Let's be honest with ourselves. Let's be honest with one another. Let's stop deceiving each other. Let's stop following the father of lies. We have a new father. We have a father in heaven who's a father of truth. He's the way, the truth, and the life. So I gotta put off the deception that I used to practice. I gotta stop manipulating people. I gotta stop lying to my boss. Stop lying to your coworkers. Start telling the truth. And you go, well, Paul, if I tell the truth, if I tell the truth, what's gonna happen? I'll tell you what's gonna happen. You're gonna shut the front door on the devil when you tell the truth. Because the second the truth comes out, the devil goes, oh, snap. The husband's getting honest with his wife. 
The devil hides in the secret places. It's the ticks. As long as you are dishonest. See, if the enemy can get you to be dishonest with your spouse or dishonest with your work and say, well, I, I worked this many hours when in reality we know you didn't. I did this, 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 and this, and this, and this to make ourselves look good in the eyes of people. This is how the story went. If we lie here, we start to lie there. We start to lie here. We start to lie there. And eventually the enemy builds up these strongholds of falsivity in our hearts. And he says, stop it. Stop it. Here's how we're going to do it. We're going to get rid of all deception. When you start telling the truth, you shut the door on the devil. I'm telling you, an honest, open, transparent marriage. Keep it hot. Honest, open, transparent. When you keep it hot like that. All of a sudden, the devil has no authority. And you come in agreement and say, hey, here's the deal. There's a struggle going on, but we're going to take authority over this thing. And we're going to kick the devil out of the house. And we're going to get real honest. We're going to get honest, open, and transparent. And, and then he says, and speak truthfully with your neighbor. If your neighbor is walking towards a cliff and you don't warn them and tell them, dude, you're headed towards a cliff. That's not being a good neighbor. Come on, Mr. Rogers. Won't you be my neighbor? A real neighbor would say, Stop! Like, I, I want you to be a good neighbor to me right now. Thank you. Now, someone in your life right now with their addictive behaviors, with the way they're talking to their spouse, with the gun that's in the house, and they get in anger and arguments with their spouse, and you know mentally there's an unstable situation going on here, and you go, well, I'm not going to say anything. I don't want to offend anybody. It's not my business. They're just my best friend. He's just my son. I, I can't really tell him the truth. You know, but as a, as a loving friend in love, say, hey, man, I love you too much. Don't treat her like that. Don't, don't do that. Come back to the truth, man. Like God's given you victory over those things. You don't have to give in to the impulse of desire to hit. Stop that. You're destroying your marriage. You're destroying the destiny God has on your life. Every time we give patty cake, you know, affirmation of people in sin, we are literally becoming accomplices. And the very thing that when, when we say, this is why when someone put a statement out saying, praise God, the man got his victory with the suicide. No, no, man. That's not a victory. God has a plan for it. It's not God's will. It is not God's will for you to end it. It is not God's will for you to do that. God has a better way, but we got to get honest. And then he says this. He says, um, keep going to the next verse, 26. He says, in your anger, do not sin. Now, I like this. In other words, you can be angry, but not sin. Come on. How many have you been angry in the last month, in the, in the last year, in the last 20 years? I'm going to get all of you to raise your hand at some point. <laughs> Here's the good thing about anger. You can feel an anger and you don't have to give in to anger. If you haven't felt anger in a long time, I'll let you babysit my kids for a day. <laughs> I love my kids. They're blessings. They're incredible. But I'm not going to lie. Sometimes they do test my patience. And there's times where I'm... And the enemy's knocking. Shine. Just saying, come on, just shout at them. Just let out that cuss word. You don't think the enemy tempts pastors? The enemy tempts all of us. The enemy knocks on the door. Come on, come on, just get angry. Remember this one time my wife and I, we got in a disagreement in our first year of marriage. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and I got frustrated. I go, I'm driving. I'm going for a drive. And I got in my car. I went driving down the road. And I was, I was mad. I hit the dashboard. And I hurt my hand. And God was like, yeah, that was stupid. See how that anger... See, when we give in to anger, 
we're the ones who look like the fools. Like anger, when you give in to those angry, impulsive feelings, you always regret it afterwards. God said, stop. Stop the car, go back home and repent and apologize to your wife. That's your bride. And I said, but God, she's wrong and I'm right. You know, that's always how we feel at times, the pride of life, the anger. God said, no, no, you're wrong. I went home, I apologized, we made up, it was beautiful. Come on, <laughs> Sex inside of marriage is God's will, it's beautiful. Not gonna let the world steal that. But you gotta put off the old and you gotta put on the new. You gotta be like Christ. In your anger, do not sin, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. If you're angry right now with someone and you go, well, I'm just gonna give it a few days and then I'll let go of the offense, you know, we just need some space. I just need some space from my spouse. I'm just, I don't even want to sleep. See, some of us have allowed things to come into the house. It's been knocking on the door of the offense. And it's not just come into the kitchen. Now it's in between us and our spouse in the bed. And so now I don't even want to sleep. And now I'm here and now I'm at a hotel. And now the enemy always works little by little to try to pull you away from where you're supposed to be, what you're supposed to be doing. And the enemy tries to do this with anyone in a church, just a little bit of offense, just a crack of a door. And eventually we, we get severed. I don't even want to be a part of that community anymore. I'm so mad. And, but it starts with just a little bit of it. This is why you got to shut the door on the enemy. We're living in a time right now where the enemy is thriving on all kinds of crevices and cracked doors and windows and coming in. And we've got to shut it. We've got to say, no, not today, Satan. Not today. He goes on to say in verse 28, so he says, don't give the devil a foothold. In verse 28, he says, anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer. By the way, stealing is a sin. In case you were wondering, stealing's a sin. Some of y'all are like, well, it's a sin. <laughs> like, don't, don't steal songs that you didn't pay for. Don't, don't burn CDs or download movies that you didn't purchase. You're going, well, not all stealing. Come on, man. Be a man of God and pay for the movie. Pay for the Victory Worship album. Stop burning it off of everyone else's CDs. Pay for it. Anyone who's stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share. Switch from stealing to sharing. Start and the energy that you used to use to steal and to take stuff that wasn't yours. Now use it to be generous and share with those in need. Verse 29, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only if you have nothing good to say, don't say anything at all. Like we're talking about living for Jesus. We're living for Jesus. That means I'm going to take authority over my mouth. I'm not going to let any bad stuff. I remember sitting on a bus ride. We were coming back from a football game, and these guys were talking dirty about the girls in our class. They had a hot list and a not hot list, and they were talking bad about girls. Then they started talking bad about other people, making fun of people. And finally, something rose up on the inside of me. The Bible says the righteous are as bold as a lion. So I was feeling like Simba. I was like, rawr, you know, and I, I, I said, stop talking about the girls in our class. And they said, what are you going to do about it, Doherty? I didn't know what I was going to do. I was like, <laughs> I said, I just don't like it. <laughs> and they pushed me and I pushed them back and they punched me in the face. Blood's coming down. And I, I'm like a, I'm a scrappy guy. So I'm like, ah, you know, they pull me off. But at least I stood up. At least I stood up against the, the mean bullying words. If you hear someone talking bad about someone or, 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 or saying mean words to people, we got to stop the bullying in school. We got to stop the bullying in households. We can't practice this unwholesome talking and still call ourselves believers. My standard is Jesus. 
And Jesus didn't do that to people. Jesus spoke kindly and gently. And then he goes on to say in verse 30, he says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And then he continues to say in verse 31, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. In other words, the Holy Spirit has given you the power through the love of God. Ephesians 3, 16 through 19 gives us the power to live out Ephesians 4. And I pray that you would be filled with the Holy Spirit with power so that you would know the depth and the height and the width of God's love. And that power gives you the strength to walk in the life he's called you to live. And I can get rid of the junk that's been in there. And then in verse 32, he says, and now clothe yourself with compassion. Ephesians 4 verse 32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other as Christ and God has forgiven you. Yes, take on the very nature of Christ. Number four, here's my final point. Open the door daily to life. Open the door daily to Jesus. Shut the door on the devil. Open the door to Jesus. Revelation 3 verse 20, Jesus is talking and he says, behold, I stand at the door and I knock, and it's not anger, it's not pride, it's not fear. Life is knocking at the door. I know you just let depression into your house, but life is knocking at the door. I know you're thinking about suicide in the kitchen right now, but life is knocking at the door. I, I know you're thinking about taking that gun out right now, but life is knocking at the door. I know you're about to look on that website right now, but Life is knocking. Every time you get ready to sin, life is knocking on the door. Every time you get ready to let that word out of your mouth, every time you get ready to do something you know you shouldn't do, guess who's knocking at the door? Life is knocking at the door. He said, here I am. I stand at the door and I knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and I will eat with that person. So if you're thinking about suicide right now, someone's knocking at the door. You may not hear the knock, it's in here. And he's saying, come on, man, you got a reason to live. Come on, girl, I'm not finished with you yet. You ain't seen nothing yet. Your best days are still in front of you. Don't you jump, don't you take those pills, don't you do that. I've got a plan for you. Come on, wife, come back home, come back home, come back home, come back home. He stands at the door and he knocks. I think someone's watching this online right now. And I don't know what you're struggling with. I don't know what you're dealing with. But he's knocking on the door. He's knocking on the door. And he's saying, let me in. I can heal that wound. I can heal that wound. Another guy is not going to fix it. Only Jesus can do it. Only Jesus can do it. And he says in John 10, verse 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. When you hear a knock on the door, just look out the people and just make sure you know who's about to come through. And if it's the thief, don't let him in. But he said, but I've come to give you life. If it's life, open that door wide and go, I'm getting back to church. I'm opening my Bible up. How do I open the door to life? I open my Bible up every single day and I read life and I meditate on life and I begin to worship the life giver. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And whoever has the Son has life. So every, come on, stand up on your feet all over this place. There's life that wants to come into your spirit this morning. There's life that wants to come into your marriage this morning. There's life that wants to come into your heart. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? He's standing at the door and he's knocking. And every time sin is knocking, 
And every time you let sin into your house, there's always a knock at the door of life. So when you're sitting on that bridge and you're thinking about suicide or you're thinking about depression or you're feeling overwhelmed or discouraged or you feel like you failed and you committed too many sins to be forgiven, behold, there's a knock at the door right there on the bridge. Just here, there's a knock on the door of your heart. Jesus is saying, come on, come on. I'm standing at the door. You don't have to do this. You don't have to look at those websites anymore. You don't have to take that heroin anymore. You don't have to go back to that old way. You don't have to give in to what your boyfriend wants right now. I'm standing at the door and I'm knocking. And anyone who lets me in, I will give you life and life to the fullest. I will give you power and authority over the temptation of the enemy. There is no temptation that's too big for you to overcome. I've given you life he said I'm the way I'm the truth and the life he's knocking on the door of your heart some of you came to church today as a last-ditch effort you say man if there's hope I just need to know here's your sign right now there is hope he is standing at the door and he is knocking he said please let me come in I can make all things new I can change you I can heal you you are not stuck in that toxicity you are not stuck in that depression you are not stuck in that behavior you are not stuck in that feeling the uh, the desires of the flesh you can walk in victory I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes some of you right now you're here and the enemy's been knocking on the door of your mind and heart and unintentionally you've given him some space, a foothold maybe. And he's been bringing all kinds of thoughts and feelings and desires, stirring up all kinds of stuff. But today it's time to shut the door. It's time to say, you know what? I'm not going to let him win anymore. I'm not going to let him win anymore. I'm going to walk in victory today. I'm going to walk in victory one day at a time. Just one day at a time. Begin to change one day at a time. Let the Holy Spirit begin to renew your mind, not in your own effort, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. He will begin to do it as you open the door and say, come on in, Lord. Come on in. I was just about to do something I shouldn't have done, but Lord, I'm opening the door. I'm saying, come on in, God. I was just about to say something I know I shouldn't say, but Lord, I'm going to shut my mouth and I'm going to open the door for you to come into my heart and give me healing in that area, in that relationship. All over this place with heads bowed and eyes closed, if God's speaking to you to shut the door on some areas in your life where the enemy's been stirring up different things, to open the door to Jesus in some areas in your life, maybe your entire life, I want you to raise your hand today. It's time to be made new in the mind, made new in the heart. Come on, all over this room, you're saying, I need to get freedom in some areas. I need to start walking in freedom, in victory, in my thoughts. I need to start walking in victory. While I'm by myself, I need to start seeing some victory in my life. If you raised your hand or you should have raised your hand, I want you to leave your seat. Come on, there's a spot for you at the altar today. Life is knocking at the door. Joy is knocking at the door. Peace is knocking at the door. Freedom is knocking at the door. You can be free. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. You don't have to be a slave to sin. You don't have to be in bondage anymore. You can have victory, man. You can have victory, young woman. We can walk in victory today. Come on, let's worship the Lord. Go ahead, Alex. There's a spot for you at this altar. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you that she has the mind of Christ. She has the mind of Christ. Here's what we're doing. We're opening the door to Jesus. 
See, so many people say, just give me something practical, man. Just give me something. When you tap into the supernatural, it affects everything that's practical. This is your Monday motivation. Start worshiping when you feel like worrying. Start putting, like open your Bible when you're tempted to open up a website you shouldn't open. You go, well, what's that gonna do? It's gonna get your eyes on life and get your eyes off of that deathly distraction that's plaguing you. When you're tempted with all kinds of lust and impure thoughts and greed and you think these things are gonna satisfy, begin to open the door as you start to pray, as you start to meditate on God's word, as you begin to worship, as you get on your knees and submit yourself to God. I can resist the devil and he flees when I'm submitted to God. When I open the door to Jesus, I'm kicking the devil out of my house. Anybody ever seen the movie War Room? Remember that movie? Okay, there's this moment in the movie where the wife, my goodness, The wife has a revelation of authority. We've got to get a greater revelation of spiritual authority, spiritual warfare. She goes into her house and she starts to plead the blood of Jesus over every bedroom. She goes into her house and she says, Satan, get out of my house. Get out of my kitchen, get out of my bedroom, get out of my husband's mind, get out of my marriage, get out of my heart. She begins to take authority over her house. Now the world would say, that's ridiculous. Guys, the demonic realm is real. The highest grossing genre film industry out there is horror films, specifically on the supernatural realm of exorcism and demonic. Like the world is making money recognizing that demons are real. When are we going to start realizing as a church, the demonic realm is real, but the supernatural realm and the power of God is greater. Come on, you've got paranormal authority over the paranormal activity that's coming against your heart and mind. This is the subtle art of saying, Satan, get out of my house. Shut the door. You don't belong here anymore. Lord, I pray for every person in the room who wants more of you. Every person in the room who needs the gifts of the Holy Spirit to speak in tongues, to prophesy, to pray. Lord, I pray, God, that they would receive it today in Jesus' name. God, just like in Acts chapter 2, God, as the disciples begin to speak in new tongues, as the Holy Spirit poured out on them, God, and there was signs and wonders, and there was power, and there was freedom, I pray in Jesus' name, God, that in this house today, there's sons and daughters that are rising up their authority there's mothers and fathers that are rising up in their authority there's single ladies in this room single men that are saying from this day forward as for me and my dorm room we're gonna serve the Lord as for me and my apartment we're gonna bring glory to God I'm gonna shut down the websites that have been wreaking havoc in my heart I'm gonna shut down the bottle that keeps on pulling me back into sin I'm gonna shut down every and I'm gonna open the door to life I'm gonna open the door to freedom I'm gonna open the door to joy. I'm going to open the door to peace. Lord, I just pray right now for every person in this room that's being tormented that today the tormenting is stopped. Satan, I rebuke you. Get out. And I thank you that the power of God is in this place. He's not given us a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. 
Take captive every thought that's not of God. Just like a sniper, just go in there and start shooting those thoughts that are not of God. Just say, get out. Nope, not going to stay here anymore. Anger, violence, self-hatred, you got to go. In Jesus' name, just say this with me. I put on the helmet of salvation, the mind of Christ. I take captive every thought that's not of God, and I kick it out from my mind. Every emotion, every feeling, it's got to go. If it's not from God, it's got to go. I put on the breastplate of righteousness. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I put on the belt of truth. I will know the truth and the truth will set me free. I put on the shoes of peace and I lift up the shield of faith that blocks every dart of the enemy. And I take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And I'm gonna walk in victory over the enemy. Lord, I repent of all sin. And I ask you to change me from the inside out to be more like you. I'm all yours, God. I have the victory in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. I love you, Victory. God bless you.